0: to the Intuitive Insights podcast series. I'm Nina Lockwood, Founder and Director of Intuitive Interim and Executive Search. Throughout this series, I will be sharing engaging conversations with talented leaders from across the UK transport sector. Today, I am delighted to welcome Zach Shaler, Senior Project Manager at Turner and Townsend. I've known Zach for a few years now, and have always been completely inspired by his energy, I'm confident that our Intuitive Insights audience will really enjoy hearing his career story and his take on his three wishes for the future of the UK transport industry. I hope you enjoy. Zach Shaler, Senior Project Manager for Turner and Townsend, a very, very warm welcome to the Intuitive Insights podcast. It's lovely to see you.
1: Thank you for having me, Nina. Great to see you as well.
0: You're very welcome. And as we've already said in our little chat pre recording, um, I'm going to acknowledge that you are taking part in Movember. So, (laughs) forevermore, that will be um, kind of held on our podcast as a a witness to the amazing amount of money that's being raised at Turner and Townsend. So, well done to you. Um, And uh, I'm sure it's worth every penny to have an itchy face for 30 days. So, well done. In terms of the uh, traditional format for intuitive insights, we are going to head straight towards your career story, please. I'd like to go right back to the beginning. Um, I'd like to know in terms of kind of higher education coming into into your career, what were the decisions you made early doors that have kind of set you on this path? Um, Talk us through it. Tell us your story right up until the, the role that you're doing currently for Turner and Townsend.
1: Okay, great. Thank you. Um, I, I'd also like to say in real life, the moustache is definitely better than it appears on camera. So uh, <laughs> it's nothing to do with my ability to grow facial hair. I promise you it's uh, it looks better to me in the mirror. So, I um... will
0: believe you. I'm sure it looks very dashing.
1: Thank you. Um, So yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And you you know, you often hear a lot about talks about people's careers and how they got into transport and rail in particular. Um, And I don't think mine is unusual in the sense that, uh, so I studied politics at university, went to university in Swansea, which is uh, in Wales, which is very wet, but a lovely part of the world. Um, And I left there in uh, 2013, did a couple of jobs in between uh, the classic sort of saving up going traveling and I sort of put that put that bit of part of my life to bed saw some great things from around the world um, and I came back and I sort of thought right you know I need to get a career here I need to find some stability in my life and how am I going to achieve that um, and it was uh, my girlfriend at the time her dad said to me I think you'd just be good at project management you know you're quite organized you're a little bit sort of you know you're the one in your friendship group who organizes things whether that's going to events or going on holiday whatever that might be um you're that kind of person so uh, i lived in london and I knew about Transport for London, um, and they were a brand that I recognised, and they were, you know, an organisation that I could align with. Um, and I applied for their graduate program on a on a whim. I was on holiday skiing in Austria. Went online, applied on the portal, and that was it. Didn't think anything anything more of it. And he was in that stage of the application process where you just think, right, that's another one done. On to the next one. Um, Positive feedback. Got invited to an interview. Uh, went through sort of the assessment process, and I got accepted, and it was great. You know, I joined an organisation that um, that had real sort of values and purpose. Um, you know about making making the lives of Londoners better every day and you know you could see that in the work that you you delivered and it was a two-year graduate program as a project manager um, and I worked on a variety of projects it was four six-month rotations over two years um, across all different modes so buses roads you know rail and it really allowed me to get a flavor of what I liked within the transport sector and if indeed I liked it at all Um, and it was really interesting and it was a bit of uh it was up to you as to how you sort of spread yourself over that two years the projects that you worked on and and where you ended up and it was great and i really enjoyed working in rail and the underground i suddenly had this sort of real fascination for london underground and how it Mm -hmm. operated and i couldn't believe that you know this this is the way things run and these are the processes and this is how projects are delivered um and so, yeah, after the two year graduate scheme, I ended up in a permanent job working on the Step Free Access Programme. So, making the Tube Network more accessible.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, And it was a mayoral priority. So, it had funding, which, as we know in the current day and age, is critical to anything. Mm-hmm. Funding's really important. Mm-hmm. It had protected funding as well, which is even more important. Um, and that project was fantastic. And that's where I first learned that the project's the project, but the people are the people. And the people. Okay you know makes make make the job exactly what it is and so a great team ethos it was long hours it was hard work it was tight deadlines but the people you worked with made that possible um and that was what was really exciting about that project um and it sort of gave my grounding in project management for delivery um and seeing people use those stations that we that we made step free was was great and that's what it was all about um and from there uh moved on in my career went to work on the four lines modernization program so the upgrade to the signaling systems on the subsurface railway um so the district the Hammersmith and City the Circle and the Met Line um new infrastructure new signaling new trains uh and I'd never worked on railway signaling before so having sort of gone through the process of understanding civils and infrastructure and you know concrete and things that you could see and you know you could build from the ground up i was now working with communication-based train control that i had no idea about right. what i was doing wow. um and that was really interesting and i really enjoy um i really enjoy that challenge of knowing that i have transferable skills and i can utilize them but also being the person in the room who knows the least about the technical product because that challenge and that pressure is really interesting um and as part of that work, I got to move to Toronto to Canada for six months, yeah. um, which was really unusual. And when I tell people that I worked for Transport for London, but I was based in Toronto, they can't quite compute <laughs> how that works. Yeah, which
0: line's that on then? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Um, and then you explain that actually the supplier is based out there, you know, and that that's where the software is developed for the for the train signalling system. Um and again, that, that that people part was really important because that was really difficult you know you, you're sort of uprooting yourself and your life to go somewhere else and I think and I think you all know as well and anyone who works in rail if you travel a lot people have this glamorous idea of travel and being amazing you know away on a train or away on a plane when actually you're a little bit transient for most of it aren't you you never really yeah. feel settled um And that was great went there in june 2019 on an initial six-month program and placement um and i think towards the end of that i had a conversation um with my with my girlfriend and we were talking about you know i've been asked to stay out there what's best and and relationships about compromise so i so i returned home to the uk and that's how that went (laughs) Um, but i had a great time and actually as it as it happened you know the pandemic started in the beginning of 2020 so it wouldn't have lasted too much longer than that anyway um and TFL was a great place to be. Uh, they recognised my development, and they they put that you know at the front of of it. wasn't just you know you are a person in the company. Here's what you need to do. It's, you know we care about your development, your development journey, um, and they recognised that of the capability that I'd built up over the last sort of four and a bit years five years I hadn't got any rolling stock experience so the Docklands Light Railway was was rolling out a program of new rolling stock and uh, upgrades to the depot and some modifications to assets so I went to work on the rolling stock program um which was really interesting I'd never worked with trains before physically you know designing new trains and light rail um and I'm so gutted because uh they're manufactured by CAF in northern Spain. So, if the pandemic hadn't have been going on, I would have gone from uh, <laughs> Toronto, Canada, to a few trips to San Sebastian. Oh, which you know, nice. there's worse places yeah. to be.
0: Absolutely.
1: Um, and that rounded off my journey at TFL. I think for me, I, I you know, I got to a point where delivering my day job wasn't extremely challenging, and I I, I wasn't comfortable with that. You know, I always wanted to feel like I you know I, I was on the back foot slightly. You know, having to draw on a lot of experiences and not that work was so tough that it sort of sent you over the edge but it was tough in a way that made yeah. you think about it in detail um, and I decided to move to to the civil service to work on high speed two mm. um, and uh, I worked on high speed two phase one so procurement mainly um, and the civil service was a really interesting place I'd never I'd never really dealt with central government before and um, and uh it was a great experience to understand how the strategy that set out at that sort of much earlier stage in in the project life cycle as it were and being one step removed from the arms length body and the contractors delivering the work was really interesting understanding the nuances between um civil servants in the department for transport the approvals and authority you had to get from the treasury how that worked with cabinet office and their involvement and all of these moving parts together um you know Red tape and bureaucracy is probably a bit of a lazy sort of acknowledgement to what it is because they all play a vital role in, in delivering, you know, mega projects. Um, but that was really interesting because I went into an environment where civil servants who don't have tons of delivery experience and I could bring all of that experience with me and become sort of a little bit of a delivery specialist in that sense. Yeah. Um, and providing that that expertise and that knowledge to, to parts of the route that were going on and also procurement of the two stations in the Midlands, which was really interesting. Um and then from there, I, I'm where I am now. So uh, I think for me, I only spent 14 months in the civil service, but an opportunity came up to join Turner and Townsend. And I felt like I'd spent six and a half years in the public sector. Um, and, you know, I wanted something else. I wanted to go and sit on the other side of the table and have the opportunity to move around to different places, possibly go and work in different exe- different sectors and have a new challenge. And I think it came at the right time. Um, and yeah, so in, in March of this year, I joined Turner and Townsend, which is where I am now. Um, I spent a little bit of time working in aviation.
0: Yeah. Uh, really interesting Heathrow. project at Heathrow. Yeah,
1: Yeah, really interesting. Um, I'd never worked in aviation before. Um, we were tasked with reopening Terminal 4, which had been mm-hmm. closed since the start of the pandemic. Um, and it was essentially just a recommissioning of this huge terminal that you walked around. It was a bit like a ghost town bringing together all those different components from all of those different areas of the organization from baggage to security, to airside ops, to bringing all the airlines back in, you were sort of overseeing this huge operation coming together. Um, and it was just great to see. And I, 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 the people, again, the people that I work with, they're excellent. And I, and I, I went, out, went out with them last night actually for some food. And I said to them, you know, it's one of the best projects I've ever worked on. It wasn't particularly long and it wasn't, um, you know, high value, but it was very complex. And that was about bringing things together to get to get something done in a very challenging timescale. So, um, yeah, that was great. Uh, and that ended. And I guess to round off the career today and the project I'm on now, I'm working on the Elizabeth line or Crossrail which is something I'm delighted about because I never had the chance to do it and I yeah. and and I, and you know I always think there's that time that you'll come and look back and you'll say gosh I wish I you know I wish I did that and I'm not you know I'm not building the stations and I'm not putting in the escalators and delivering the trains but I'm working on the reliability of it in operation which is just as important because it's all about the user experience and you know what the customer sees at that station yeah. and how that works um so yeah, it's really interesting, uh, and it's sort of drawing on experiences I have from my four lines modernization days about signaling and systems and passenger interfaces, and uh, it's a little bit of you know what I know, but i'm I'm very glad to be back in rail.
0: Yeah, you can hear that in your voice. you can, you kind of you know that and and I'm in a pr- really privileged position because I speak to so many people who have this shared passion that you have for um for the railway and how it works. And the purpose of it um and it's yeah it, i love it i absolutely love it I can hear the, the passion in your voice and also the pride in terms of what you've been involved with before mm-hmm. um i'm going to take you back a little bit into um back into tfl days when you were presented with this opportunity to go to toronto um and i know you and i spoke about it at the time whilst yep. you were going through that decision making process um for anyone who has that opportunity um, how did just talk us through, Zach, how you actually made the decision that, yes, that was the that was the right thing to do, to go to go kind of, you know, a long way away for six months of the year um, to go and work in a different environment.
1: Um, I think it's a great question. I think uh, for me personally, it was you weigh things up and we, we had a conver- a couple of conversations about this and I re- you know the advice you gave was great uh, on it but i also think you know i was told very early on in my career just say yes to things yeah. the worst that can happen is you don't like it and if you don't like it you know for a reason why you don't like it and you can take yourself out of that environment or that situation but if you say no there's always that possible chance of regret of thinking gosh i wish i, I wish i'd done that um but I weighed it up you know there was there was a big draw my life is in London you know I had I still have a girlfriend and now a fiance in London yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, my family are here my friends are here you know I'm an extrovert but you're putting yourself into a complete uh, a complete sort of series of isolation around not having any friends not having any work colleagues um, in that environment it was it was very difficult uh, but I think on the balance of things looking at it as sort of a long-term picture the benefits to me overall in terms of a learning experience in terms of my career and the opportunities that hopefully would come out of that and just you know exploring different places um far outweighed the disbenefits um but yeah I think the support of friends and family and my girlfriend made that made that possible I think without that that wouldn't have been possible
0: yeah absolutely um but you're glad you did it
1: 100% yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't have changed it for the world Yeah. yeah yeah delighted
0: and and that the the other kind of um, the other big move, I guess, and and the fact you've recognised you, you'd had, you know, a big chunk of your career in the public sector, so now now time to to step out of that into the exciting and dynamic world of the private sector. Has that been a big culture shock, Zach, or as it kind of just does it? Does it feel pretty much the same?
1: It was quite difficult actually at the start Um, and it it wasn't in terms of the culture. It was more in terms of uh, being, you're in two places. So you're trying to build up a network of friends and colleagues and a reputation at the company you work for, so for Turner and Townsend, whilst also trying to build up a network of colleagues and people you need to buy into your project goals at Heathrow um, and you have to build up that network. And so doing them both in parallel was very difficult. And it was difficult because, you know, you can only be in so many places at once um, and you're trying to, I guess your project comes first because that is what you're, that is what you're being paid to do. And that is your task. You know, that's, that's what you're there to deliver. But it sort of took about two or three months to settle into. And after that, you find that the rhythm, you know, it it goes as you would expect it to do. Mm -hmm. But I'd never worked in a place before where my network of colleagues was different to the ones that I was working with on a project, if that makes sense. And that, and that was difficult. Um, I think, I, as I said earlier, I think I enjoy that that challenge of having to always be on top of your game. And you have to do that in, in the private sector, I think, more so than in the public sector. Um, but certainly experiences in terms of people's ability and their willingness to succeed, there is minimal, if any, difference between the public and private sector in that sense. And that's certainly what I experienced as I worked through um, into the civil service and then into... Into where I am now.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. You've you've used the word network in there, which is a subject very close to my heart. Um, I, it's one of the areas. Do you know when people say to me, "What do you wish you'd known earlier on in your career?" or "What advice would you give to your younger self?" kind of um, question. Mine is always to understand the value of networking, of building relationships. I wish I'd known that earlier on. Um, I'm very, very happy with where I am now, um, but I, I kind of mm-hmm. think, gosh, right? What would I have done if I'd kind of cottoned onto this sooner? Where would I be? Um, but the networking—I mean, we we first met. Through the National Rail Awards because you were on the the judging committee, and I'm delighted to hear that you you're coming back for the 2023 season. Um, so that is brilliant news. Uh, but you you came into that as part of the Young Rail Professionals, didn't you? Um, as a as a YRP candidate. So has was that important to you early doors, Zach? In terms of you of building a network.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think when you start out new in, in new in an industry. I think you need to have people around you who are like minded and whether that's like minded in terms of technical ability or like minded in terms of, you know, ambition or drive to succeed. I think that can being in that sort of group mentality of people with, you know who are like minded can help you succeed as well. And that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been it's been drummed into me from very early on in my career. And I started out quite late, I guess. When you When you speak to other people who started graduate schemes, I was 25 at the time, Um, and I think that little bit of maturity helped. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'll have to turn the lights on. You
0: need 50p. Yeah, let me turn (laughs) the lights on.
1: Typical. Um, (laughs) I think so networking, I think, is really important. I think, yeah, I had it drilled into me from very early on how important that was and meeting people and just going out. Because, again, it's that thing. What's the worst that can happen if you have a conversation with someone and you don't get along? Then that's fine. You don't have to speak to them, you know, ever again. But if you do get along, it's great. And you've made another colleague, you know, a friend in the industry and i'm sure you'll agree that rail is full of people who enjoy talking about rail oh, and who incredible. are just good people you know yeah. they're, they're good people who want to who who want to help you um, yeah. it's not about what's in it for me what am i going to get out of it there's a real um desire and passion to sort of share how great the industry is and bring people along with them on that journey it's not about keeping all the secrets locked away in the cupboard
0: you're so right with that you're so right it was one of the things and continues to be actually kind of 10 years on when I first came into the industry I was absolutely blown away by the fact the number of people who were prepared to sit down with me and explain how this industry works who does what to whom? And, and where does the fares money go? You know, where, where when you buy a ticket, who gets the money for it? How does it all work? How does it all fit together? The number of people who were prepared to do that and the passion that's there as well in terms of, of wanting to share that knowledge and information, I think is incredible. It's one of the many things that I love about the industry. Um, And one of one of the other things, I guess, which fits fits really well with with what you've just said is that I have it um, I have it on good authority that you're doing some mentoring these days as well. So that's kind of that, you know, kind of paying it forward stuff in relation to sharing some of your knowledge and supporting people as they're kind of coming up and making decisions in their own careers.
1: Yeah. And it's really important. I think paying it forward is really important because I know just how important that was for me. Um, and I know we talk about sort of passions and what's a passion in the industry. You know, what what, what do you really like and what do you enjoy? And I've, I make no apologies for mentioning people again because they are so important. And as you know, we've just talked about the people are great. Um, and having that structure and that support of people who actually wanted to help when I started out in the industry, I think was sort of the difference between falling in love with it or just thinking of it as a job yeah and and I'm so keen to to help now and um at TNT with you know it's the it's the typical sort of graduate cycles you know September time bringing people onto programs and I look after two graduates who've joined recently and you know I've not been at the company long myself but I think you don't need to you don't need to know everything there is to know about the company. I think the purpose about, you know, life skills and maturing and growing in the discipline is important. Yeah. Um, and I've got a real passion for helping people succeed in those early stages if they want to, because I know how critical it is to your development. Um, and yeah, I think, you know you make friends as you you go through it's not just people you work with you spend so much of your life at work you might as well get along with the people that you work with um, and you don't have to directly work with them but yeah have have interactions with them and mentoring is a great one I think Um, there's lots of different ways of mentoring and I think you can people can have preconceptions about mentoring and about how structured it has to be but actually you know you could give someone one piece of advice that that helps them out and that could only be once every two months or three months but that's still helping someone and I think that's you know that, that, that that's a great thing
0: yeah absolutely agree and and one more question before we move on to kind of the, the next um stage of the of the podcast um was that the right decision then that advice that you got from your girlfriend's father back in the day project management are you glad that's what you chose to do does it fit nicely
1: it does fit nicely and it's weird how things work out it really is strange how things work out you know I had no idea what I wanted to do um, and I didn't even know much about project management as a discipline Um, and you know yeah it's, it's great the way things turn out I feel like it's a great fit for me I think as you evolve through your career you sort of move slowly with your head above the parapet and you work out projects and programs and industries and that's great and that's a natural flow that I'm looking forward to um, mm. but yeah I guess in a direct answer to your question is yes
0: brilliant fantastic so let's move on to the state of play in the UK transport industry and, and specifically rail, bearing in mind that's where um, where your experience is sitting. I'm going to give you the, um, the time honoured three wishes, Zach, in relation to what you would like. If you if you ruled the world, if you were sat at the top in the position of power and you could make any changes to what's going on at the in the industry at the moment in relation to making us fit for the future what would those three changes be?
1: I thought long and hard about these because there's, there's you know, I think I could have filled 333 yeah. wishes. <laughs> um, but, uh, and I've been a bit cheeky, sort of, you know, combined a couple. So you have to forgive me. Um, I will forgive you. But I think top of the shop is, and this is a real uh, a topical issue at the minute, is a simple user experience. And that's from ticketing to trains to infrastructure. You know, what does the railway look like to... Uh, you know Mary next door how does that feel to her and how does she get on a train and I was listening to a webinar uh, last week that Rail were hosting um, and they were talking about and I didn't know this there's over 2,000 types of tickets available to purchase in the UK um, and it's impossible for someone to walk up to a station and tap a card or you know use contactless or a go smart card or whatever it might be and get on a train and I think as soon as you have barriers to entry it just puts people off because it's easier to walk outside their front door and get in the car and that's you know that is a matter of fact yeah. so i think a simpler joined up better user experience would be my first wish
0: yeah perfect
1: um my second wish is quite timely um, given the autumn statement but it's a a commitment of investment to projects that are long long talked about yeah. to make the industry fit for the future um northern pa- northern powerhouse rail was recommitted again today but only right. in its core form so right. uh, you know that that doesn't give certainty over the station in between Leeds and Manchester, which is supposedly Bradford. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. That is a, a key project to to levelling up and delivering a railway that's fit for the future. You've got Crossrail Two, which would run north to south it's from London or Surrey, London, Hertfordshire, mm-hmm. um, the Bakerloo line extension, the eastern leg of HS2. All of these projects I th- I, I wish were um, made with an eye on the future, not on the budget of today.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think we probably all share that wish.
1: Yeah. And the last one is, uh, it's easier said than done. And I apologise to any architects who ever listen to this call, but just good design to cost would be amazing on any <laughs> people. <laughs> so, um, I, was, I was in Bristol the other week. for the, I'd never been to Bristol before. The station in Bristol is incredible. Beautiful piece of architecture. Um, and now you look at some stations that are built, they look like IKEA warehouses, and it makes me really sad.
0: Oh, it makes me sad too. I share that. I absolutely do. My um, my home station, if you like, is Preston. So if I'm coming down to London, I'll go from Preston down to Euston, and Preston Station could be amazing. It needs a lot of investment. So in in kind of the main station area, you can see that there's so much um potential for it to be developed into something using the old infrastructure that's there and making it into something far more attractive and far more welcoming but then a few years ago I don't know five six seven years ago maybe they've stuck this thing on the front of the state well it's kind of on the side of the station but it's like you've got two entrances and the one that you come into from the car park it's awful. The local papers re- referred to it as a carbuncle. It was like, <laughs> what is that? Who's done that? Who signed it off? It's awful. So you've got this really old building that, that, you know, could do with a bit of TLC, but then you've got these horrible things stuck on Sad the side, bad. like you say, a bit like an Ikea um-esque building which yeah I, I definitely show you pain it's such a point.
1: shame such a shame you yeah. know you look at there's some great stations and even at Bristol uh, station it was incredible sort of stonework to, to denote the station name and then GWR had come along and stuck their big signs over it and I was like I understand you have to know where you're alighting or boarding it makes it difficult but yeah. it's just some consideration for yeah. you know the history um, yeah. and yeah. where you are. but and yeah. The his-
0: yeah, the history of the railways is so important. And it's, you know, it, it's kind of a big part of it for people as well, I think. And that sense of experience when you're at a station. And you, you can get that. I mean, you know, I've made no secret of the fact that St Pancras is my favourite station, but that kind of, those cathedral-type stations, I think, are just amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely amazing. Um, but then again, I like Grangeover over Sands as well, but that's kind of more of a romantic notion, I think, than that. have <laughs> not been there. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's an, up in the Lake District. It's gorgeous. Nice. Um, and I believe that that's where Brief Encounter was filmed, but I'm sure okay. somebody will put me right on that because there'll be <laughs> loads of people who know. Um, Um, Thank you for those three wishes. I think they're great. And I think that there's, you know, there's a couple of them there that we haven't heard before. So well done for for bringing something, um, something new into the wish list. Um nice. before I let you go, I'm going to ask you um again in time honoured fashion for, for the podcast to share some of your some some wisdom with us, some words of wisdom. Um whether you've got a quote or you know it's a book you've read or a particular podcast you've listened to, um, share some words of wisdom with us, Zach.
1: Um delighted to, and I think books recent years, probably the last five or six years books are great I don't really read fiction books non-fiction books are amazing really enjoy them Um, there's a couple of books that have shaped sort of the way I think at the minute how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie is a classic
0: goodness it is a classic yeah Yeah. I read that when I was younger than you are now so that's a long time ago
1: (laughs) it's great it's about you know the shift in mindset about understanding motivations for other people you know how can you sort of achieve what you want to achieve you know by, by sort of influencing others, which has been amazing. Yeah. Um, more recently, though, and I think this is uh, really pertinent at the minute, Black Box Thinking by Matthew said okay. um, is about attitudes to failure and tolerance to failure. And the quote from that book that says failure and our attitude to failure is critical to learning and improvement, mm. I think is so important. Yeah. I think so many projects and so many programs and people just in general in life have a, a predetermined attitude to failure that that's, you know, that is you failing, that's bad, that's wrong. Yeah. But actually you learn through failing. Um James Dyson made hundreds or thousands of prototypes of the Hoover before he, he invented the the bagless cylinder. Yeah. Yeah. Um And projects, you know, Crossrail, the attitude to failure in Crossrail, you know, that sort of fear of culture uh, mm. environment you have to learn through doing and you learn through doing and failing. And I think that's really important. And there shouldn't be um, shouldn't be scared of failing. I think it shows maturity uh, to want to grow and by trying different things.
0: Absolutely. I could not agree more. And it's really interesting because this is a theme that I'm becoming more and more aware oh, wow. of. And kind of going, you know, going back into to my early career when I was I was kind of soaking up everything I could get hold of in terms of self-development. And my, my big thing was around the power of your mind and positive thinking. And I remember reading about Edison and how many thousands of attempts he'd made to, to develop the light bulb. But each time it was kind of, well, yeah, that's not worked. So what do I need to tweak? What do I need to do differently? We'll move on. Um, the same with Colonel Sanders apparently and his KFC recipe you know it wasn't quite right so we'll just tweak it a bit here tweak it a bit there and there are so many examples of these things and I, you know I, I doubt very much whether the Wright brothers got it right first time yeah with the, with the plane so it's kind of it's very easy isn't it to kind of see things as an overnight sensation and oh look they've done that and you know how how lucky they are because they've got this successful business or this successful invention or whatever it is but actually the number of times that you get you fall over and you have to get back up again on the way to that um is i think is quite significant so thank you for bringing that to the attention of the audience i think there's there's more there's a brilliant podcast actually by a lady called elizabeth day called how to fail okay. Um, and she talks, that is her literally the genre of the podcast is let's talk That's to brilliant. people about failures and there's some amazing conversations on there. So um, thank you for that. I really enjoyed our conversation and I know that other people will as well in terms of listening to your career to date. I am sure we will see you continue to be successful and, um, you know, make some failures along the way so that you're (laughs) learning, but they do, they help you grow, they help you grow quicker and learn quicker. So um, Zach Shaler, Senior Project Manager at Turner and Townsend. It's been an absolute pleasure to welcome you to the Intuitive Insights podcast. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. And thanks for having me. It's been great.
0: My pleasure. My huge thanks to Zach I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation. I hope you did too. Please tune in for the next episode of Intuitive Insights Podcast, which will be with you in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks for listening.